What's up, everybody? I hope you are doing well today. This is Rafael Garcia back for episode 109 of the MMA Ratings Podcast. I'm here with Shawan Hume. Shawan, let everybody know how you're doing today. I'm doing great, guys. Ready to talk some mixed martial arts, all these new events and all this news coming up. Ready to talk about it with my partner, Rafael Garcia, over there. So, yeah, we have some fight announcements we're going to cover today and look back at, at those and see what how excuse me see what jumps off the page to us. This UFC on ESPN fight card Saturday. So we got quite a bit to talk about, man. Um, so let's go ahead and kind of jump right into it. I want to talk about, before we get into the new fight announcements, I want to talk about some quote-unquote sad news, I guess. You want to think about it? If, depending on if you're a fan of this guy or not. But did you see the news this week that Jose Aldo was talking about fighting three more times in Brazil for calling it a career? Yeah, I, just, I actually just saw that. I was I've been busy at work, but then I I uh, clicked on his item. I was curious, but you know, then I, then I started thinking about it, and it makes sense to me. So um, let's get your microphone squared away too, because it just broke up a little bit. I don't want to have to you know keep talking about that, but. Jose Aldo, you know, he's the guy who was the center of the UFC bringing over a lot of, like, the lighter weight classes when they merged in the WEC well, back in 2012, 2011, I believe it was. But his legacy has changed a lot, if you think about it, what it was back then to what it is now, mainly because of eight seconds. Eight seconds is what it took for... Jose Aldo's legacy to change, but talking about that, Sean, what do you think his legacy is when it comes to not only featherweight but the larger picture of UFC as a whole? Well, I, I think as a lighter weight, per, I mean, a lot of people overplay the fact that he got knocked out by Conor McGregor in the eight seconds, basically the one shot where he got knocked out, and it's a big moment. It's hard. It's hard to downplay that moment considering how Conor built it up and. You know, the fight, you're expecting this fight between an all-time great and an up upstart, and it just ended so abruptly. It, it's hard for the casual fans to really appreciate what Jose Aldo did because for some people, that was their first introduction to him. They don't pay attention to mixed martial arts, so they didn't really see Jose Aldo until they saw him against Conor McGregor. And then to see him get dismantled like that, it it, it kind of permanently skews your point of view for him, uh, of him. But for mixed martial arts fans, real fans, I mean, he's still probably, I'd say even now with Max Holloway being as dominant as he is, Jose Aldo still got to be the number one featherweight in the history of the mixed, of mixed martial arts just because of the period of dominance he had and the fact that he basically cleared out the division in WEC and w- was just short of clearing out the, the division in UFC, losing to Conor McGregor and losing to uh, Max Max Holloway. I mean, he he pretty much set the bar for dominance at the lower weight class. Prior to that, it was Uriah Faber, who was considered one of the best, or at least maybe number two to um, Kid Yamamoto. But uh, Aldo took over that position. I mean, he was just so clinical, so devastating, so dominant, and not just offensively dominant, but so defensively sound. Like, he was hardly getting touched. He was beating up world-class strikers, world-class grapplers. People who won multiple world titles, and he was making it look easy. So I I don't think in the fan in, in the eyes of the real fans, he took a step backwards. But as far as casuals, um, yeah, they're they're going to place him below Connor and below Max because after he lost to Connor, he never looked quite as dominant again. He dominated Frankie Edgar, but he didn't look as dominant as he did in the first fight. 
he looks good against Jeremy Stevens, but he also got hurt badly against Stevens. And that's in between getting knocked out twice by Max Holloway. So people who caught on to him around the Conor McGregor era never really saw him at his peak and never saw him as best. So they don't really, they can't speak intelligently about what he could do and where he stands as far all-time greats for the division, for the lighter weight classes, much less for mixed martial arts as a whole. So let's talk about Aldo's legacy. Like, let's look. This man has defeated Jeremy Stevens, Frankie Edgar twice, Chad Mendez twice. Um, turn my volume down on, on your end a little bit, Shuan, too, please. But he defeated yeah, no Chad Mendez twice, Ricardo Lamas, Chan Sun Jung, Kenny Florian, Mark Hominick, uh, Manny Gambirian, Uriah Faber, Mike Brown, Cub Swanson. I mean, I think he's about to fight Cub Swanson again. That is the who he has run through in his career. How do you not respect that type of legacy, that type of resume, and think that this guy is the greatest featherweight of all time? People are talking about Max Holloway, which, I mean, Max Holloway is a strong case. I wouldn't be mad at anybody so I think. Max Holloway as a uh, as as the greatest featherweight of, of all time, um, but I just can't put Connor over Aldo, even though he has that thirteen second smoking of him a couple years ago. Yeah, well, plus Connor never defended it, so it takes away from any 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 hold he would have on the division because he he never defended the title. He basically held it hostage until he could defend fight for the lightweight title, and then he had the double champ reputation, but he never defended the title, so. Even though he beat him, like you said, he can't really be considered a top one or two in the division because he didn't even defend the belt even once. I mean, other than, okay, so he defeated Chad Mendez on, I think that was like three weeks' notice. He defeated Aldo as well. And I mean, remember when he fought Mendez too, he, he lost that first round pretty badly. Um, yes, he does have a win over Max Holloway, but that was Max Holloway six years ago. That's a totally different person than it is today. I mean, that record doesn't compare to what Jose Aldo did during his run in any way, shape, or form. Yeah, I mean, me and you are both fans of traditional sports, and it's not just how many records you broke or how dominant you were in a short period of time. There's a certain uh, um, credit given to longevity. And if you can perform at world-class levels, you know, year after year, opponent after opponent, season after season, that's where the true greatness kind of comes in. You know, you win one Super Bowl, you could be an all-time great, but if you're a guy who's won two or three or four, you're always going to be put ahead of the guy, even if the guy who won one had better numbers in that one year. People respect the fact that you were able to repeat the feat and the fact that you were do- able to do it over an extended period of time. Conor McGregor was like a meteor through the featherweight division. He was, I mean, if he hadn't had that injury, he wouldn't have been, even been there that long. I mean, Jose Aldo really was that guy for, what, four, five, six years? Nobody could touch him. Nobody could get close to him. And all the guys he fought were guys who were perennial top five, top ten, top contenders. They weren't guys who, once he beat them, they fell off the face of the map. They were guys who were still beating and knocking off world-class elite fighters in the division. I mean, that's how much that's how that's how good he was. He didn't catch guys at their at the tail end of their peak. He he was getting the best versions of these guys beating them, and those guys would go out and just go beat everybody else. Frankie Eggers. A chief example of that. He beat Frankie Edgar, made it look fairly easy. And then Frankie went on like what a five, six fight winning streak before he got another shot at Aldo, and then he got dismissed just as just as quickly. So yeah. it's 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 very impressive because he was beating guy the way he was beating guys and the skill he was beating guys and the dominance. It was just so 
one-sided. They weren't even really competitive fights. It was when he decided he wanted to take over, he took over. When he decided he wanted the fight to go another way, it went another way. And he was almost fighting all high-class guys who were eventually, they were title contenders. They were guys, Kenny Florian had challenged for how many titles? Um, you know, Chad Mendes had challenged Conor McGregor and Jose Aldo three times for a title. I mean, he and Frank Yeager had been one of the best lightweight champions of all time. So it wasn't like he was fighting guys who hadn't had a legacy of their own. He was fighting guys with established legacies, who were very experienced, who knew the game and were at the peak of their abilities when he fought them. And Max Holloway can't say that. He didn't fight He didn't fight Aldo at the peak of his abilities. You know, Aldo fought Max at the peak of his. That's just one more guy he fought at the peak of his. He fought Connor at the peak of his. Aldo didn't, get, Aldo didn't have any soft touches in his entire career since he made it on the scene of WEC. I, I don't see any soft touches. Everybody he fought was fighting at their best at the time he fought them, and he beat them quite decisively. But like I said, when you're talking about casuals, those brief moments make more of an impression on pop culture than it does on the actual sport. And for people who never paid attention to Jose Aldo, seeing him get iced in eight seconds does not leave an impression on your mind that says one of the best ever. But for people who know the sport and understand the sport, you can't, you can't argue. He's, I still say he's number one. Even though Max beat him twice, I still say he's number one until Max gets another three, four defenses under his belt. At least three or four. So with Alder talking about he has three more fights left and he wants them all to be in Brazil. He has a fight against Renato Moicano coming up, which I think is going to be a very, very, very tough fight for him. Who are the other two opponents you put him up against for him to fight out uh, his time in the sport? I really don't. I mean, I'm trying to think who we could fight that. I mean, because you want to see I mean, honestly, you want to see the legend go out on wins, but it's like who in the division hasn't he already faced and who's who's established enough in the division to warrant a shot at Jose Aldo. I mean, I guess you could have right now. I mean, and no offense, Moicano is a tough fight. That's that's not going to be an easy fight for him. Yeah, that's not going to be an easy fight in any way, shape, or form. Um, I'm, I'm, I mean, there is a possibility the greatest of all time might leave might leave on a three fight losing streak. Uh, he isn't. He lost twice to Max Holloway, and he won against Jeremy Stevens. So let's see what weight class we're talking about. We're talking about featherweights. So all right, so this is who we have: the top fifteen going from fifteen up. You have Darren Elkins. Zabit Mago Moshed Magomed Sharapova, Chang Sung Jung, Yair Rodriguez, Ricardo Lamas, Josh Emmett, Mirsag Bektik, Chad Mendez, Cub Swanson, Jeremy Stevens, Renato Moicano, Alexander Volkanovsky, Frankie Edgar, Jose Aldo, Brian Ortega. Looking at this list, if it was me picking, I would pick. So you have the Moicano fight going, win, lose, or draw. I would pick maybe Cub Swanson next and either Josh Emmett or if the UFC wants to do something big with the beat and he beats Yair or, or whoever the beat's facing next. Not sure who he's facing next. But you put the beat in there with uh, Jose on the way out. Last fight. I, I, I thought so. I mean... I thought maybe I was stuck between Zabit or maybe Volkanovski just because they're both Zabit, he's a, he's got a good skill set, but he hasn't faced elite type guys. So I, I would expect that Jose would have that seasoning experience over him, and that would be a good fight for him. Stylistically, we could find out what Zabit really has. 
and we can see if Jose Aldo was able to beat a young, fresh up and comer. Cause even Moicano is not, not as new as the beat is coming in. And then I was thinking maybe Brian Ortega, you know, if for some reason, Max Holloway moves up, maybe have Ortega versus Aldo for a, uh, to take over the to win the title fight, maybe in his second to last fight or or last fight, maybe he's fighting for the featherweight title because Max has been talking about moving up for a little bit, or Dana's been talking about having Max move up. I mean, that's not a bad idea there. That's not a bad idea at all. I I, I like that breakdown there. Um, greatest of all time, where do you put um, Mr. Aldo? Um. I mean, considering he's never been busted for drugs, now you have to factor in the failed drug test thing. I mean, I guess you don't have to, but it, as far as the purity of the sport, you, you have to factor that in. So you have to – I'd almost say he's top top three, top two, maybe Fedor, St. Pierre, Aldo. I mean, maybe maybe I might have to put Amanda Nunes up there just because of who she is, but i probably still say Aldo, Aldo before her. So he's somewhere after – Fedor, Fedor, St. Pierre, and then Aldo, I would say, as far as would be, would be my top three right now. Okay. I'm not gonna um I'm not gonna argue that. He's definitely up there. Definitely and just when the, there. it with me, it's not just it's not just win, wins are important because you know you have to beat the best to be the best, but it's also like who did you lose to? And you see some of the people other people have lost to, and you're like, eh, that guy wasn't really a world beater ever the best. Jose Aldo is really only, except for that first fight he lost early in his career, only person he's lost to is the guy who's the second best featherweight of all time, and and that that means something to me. I mean, if you're if you lose to some top guys, I can still put you high because you're losing to top guys. It's when you're losing to the 15th, 17th ranked guy where it's kind of like, yeah, you beat the second, third, and fourth guy, but you lost to the 17th, 18th, and 21st guy. So that consistency isn't there, and Aldo's been pretty consistent in his beating. All the, all the elite guys, except for except for excuse me too. So all his losses have been pretty much only to the only to the very very best, and so that's why I put him so high up there. Obviously, same thing for Fedor and George St. Pierre just beat everybody for the most part. So yeah, I'd say after St. Pierre, Fedor, Fedor and St. Pierre, and then Aldo. Okay, all right. So as we talk about some of the past all-time greats. Let's talk about some of the fights that are being announced or being or announced this week. We have four that I wanted to look at this week that were all announced. The first two are important fights in the welterweight division, where we have Jorge Masvidal and Darren Till, and Leon. They're they're fighting each other, and Leon Edwards and Gunnar Nelson. Both of these fights are scheduled for the UFC London card, which I think is in March. Let's start with Mazadal Till. That's a, it's an important fight there. Um, I think it's bigger for Till than it is, or excuse me, bigger for Mazadal than it is for Till. Uh, but I think it's a fight that Till should win. Break this down for me. And what are some of your early thoughts about this pairing? The hard part for me with Till is a, I never know if he can really make the welterweight. Like he's already, he's still talking about moving the middleweight. And he's already struggled to make in welterweight. So is is all his fight going to be left in the sauna and on the scale, just trying to make weight? B, the second issue I have is, is as accomplished as a striker as he's supposed to be, against Woodley, he just fought a really dumb fight. And I don't know if that's from the weight, or I don't know if he was just overconfident, figuring that he could just have his way with Woodley. But the simple fact of the matter is, I, I think that he ha- he'll have the size advantage, he should have a power advantage, 
I don't think his boxing is better than Jorge Masvidal's. And when and when Gamebred wants to be defensively sound, he actually can be very hard to hit. He's actually a very intelligent, very patient, very deliberate fighter. He can be offensive. He can attack the body. He can step back and counter. He can just he can just pot shot, stay on the outside. He he he's very seasoned, and he can attack from a a number of ranges. So as far as the skill level goes, I've seen more from Jorge than I've seen from than I've seen from Till. Till's been basically basically a striker. I mean, he hasn't been great grappling defensively, offensively. His wrestling is nothing to write home about. His defensive wrestling isn't anything to write home about. And he's basically a straight up and down kickboxer, maybe Muay Thai type guy. He's not really slick defensively. He doesn't fight at a really high pace. He relies a lot on his physical size, his strength, his durability, and his length. I think Masvidal's got the better footwork. I think he's got the better boxing. And I think it's very likely that after another tough weight cut, Masvidal out hustles him to a decision win. The only issue is the only real issue is how much will the weight cut impact Till? If Till's at 100%, it's, it's going to be hard for Masvidal because Till's going to have the range advantage and the size and durability advantage. And Masvidal tends to check out in fights sometimes. He'll just kind of zone out and let the fight slip out of his hands. But if we have another situation like Till had versus Woodley or versus Thompson, I don't see how he beats him because Masvidal has better skill set all around. He can wrestle defensively, offensively. He can grapple offensively, defensively. And on, on the feet, he can be solid offensively and defensively. Skill-wise, I don't think it's, it's even close. It just comes, to, comes down to intangibles. Can Masvidal fight a hard three rounds, a smart three rounds? And will Till be, have a tough weight cut? And will he come in and fight to the full extent of his abilities? Or is he just going to give up all his advantages fighting stupid again? You know, I, on paper, I say it's Masvidal. But given how these guys react in big spots, it, it's a toss-up. But I'm going to favor Masvidal based on skills, skills and experience. So, okay, Masvidal on skills and experience. My, my thing... This is the first thing I think about anytime I think of Jorge Masvidal, fight IQ. Because we've seen time and time again that his fight IQ has let him down in big situations. It let him down against Gilbert Melendez years ago. It let him down against um, Al, Al Iaquinta. I think it let, it let him down a little bit against Damian Maya as well. Do you think he had, I'm not going to say do you think he has a fight IQ to win because I'm not calling him stupid. But do you think he has the ability to execute on what's necessary to get the win when the lights are shining the brightest? Because if he wins here, he can put himself in a position to be arguing for a number one contender fight against whoever is left out there after um, Usman and uh, the Usman, Kobe Covington, Tyron Woolley situation is just played out. Can we put our stock, our faith in Jorge Masvidal's fight IQ? Well, the thing about it is, and it's not really a fight IQ thing. It's more of a temperament. And I know this because I work with some people from his camp, and there's a couple of them who, who fall in the same category. The thing is, if Jorge Masvidal thinks you're, you can whoop his ass or you are whooping his ass, he'll fight back. He'll match your intensity. He'll exceed it. The problem comes when he starts feeling like you're not really doing anything. You're pecking away with him at a jab. You're throwing these leg kicks that aren't really landing clean. You're throwing lots of volume, but you're not, re- you're not landing clean or you're not really getting to him. At those stages, he starts feeling like, well, I'm not getting my ass whooped. I'm not getting beaten up, so I must not be losing. Not understanding that the judges are counting the fact that that guy's throwing 15 punches. 
you've thrown two. Neither one of y'all really landed, but this guy's coming forward throwing 15. And maybe that guy didn't take you down off the five takedown attempts, but he's t- he's being aggressive. He's doing something. You're not countering it. You're just defending it. So you're on the defensive. So you're losing. It's not a matter of he's not smart enough to understand how to counter things or what to do or when to do it. It's just when a threat is not posed specifically or he doesn't feel a threat's on there, he he starts kind of cruising. He starts going through it. And I know because I talked to other people who had, who trained around him, and it's the same thing. I was like, dude, you're losing this round. You This is why you lost the fight. He's like, that guy wasn't hurting me. He wasn't landing clean. I said, yeah, he's not landing clean, but he's throwing 10 punches. He's throwing 10 punches and 10 kicks to your four punches. It looks like you're losing the fight because he's out, he's out throwing you. And he's outlanding you, even if it's not clean. You're just defending, defending, not countering, defending, moving away. So he's got the IQ. He understands that he wouldn't be as successful as he is because he's not a dynamic athlete. He's not a big puncher. He's obviously developed the full skill set. Like he's one of the few guys who can really attack you on multiple levels, attack and defend on multiple levels. The thing is, he has to feel like he's under duress. So if you just peck away at him and do just enough, you have a chance of eking out a decision because he's not going to feel under duress. He's not going to fire off with bad intentions but when he feels like you challenged him or it feels like you're coming after him he ramps it up that's when he starts putting guys away that's when he starts beating the hell out of guys the decisions but once it gets that pace starts slowing and you just start sticking them and moving around and flipping out that front kick and flipping out that jab and throwing out here and there he starts to slowly phase out of it he starts he starts getting out of it because he doesn't feel like he's under duress so i think he has the iq i think he has the seasoning but the question is, will he feel there's a big enough threat for him to have to respond accordingly, re- respond with mean intentions? Because when he fights that way, he's a totally different guy. But when the fight gets kind of grind down and he doesn't feel in danger, he's just defending. He's defending. He gets comfortable getting out of bad positions, but he's not making guys pay for the pay for those positions he's getting out of. Okay. All right. So, all right. Who are you picking an early pick? For uh, for for this bout here, I, I'm I'm still gonna stick with with Game Brad. I know he's wildly inconsistent, but to be honest, if you look at Till, he's he's wildly inconsistent too. I mean, he's only fought two elite guys. He ba- barely scraped by one, and he got totally smoked by the other. So you can't say he's a model of consistency either. He hasn't even made weight. We still don't know if he's gonna make weight or make it in a healthy manner. So I have to go with the guy who's been more professional, who's faced a better opposition, and the guy who's been more dependable as far as his level of performance against elite guys who are dangerous. And that's going to be massive at all. All right. All right. Let's move on to the next one. We have to talk about uh, Leon Edwards and Gunnar Nelson. This is on the same card. And I think it's an important fight because we know if someone falls out of the main event, they'll probably move one of these two guys up. Uh, Leon Edwards is someone that I've had my eye on. Um, I don't want to put him in that same category as like a, uh, well, I, I don't want to say like an owl, not an owl, Quinta, or um, I don't want to do the lazy comparison to another black guy like Aljamain Sterling. Like that is the name that popped out to me. I didn't want to go there, but like that's the name that really popped out to me. Someone that started off hot, but you wonder how far he can get up, up, up the ladder. He's doing a good job talking his way up there. I mean, he's been working trying to call out Darren Till lately. So he's doing a good job trying to talk his way up there, but I don't know if he's ever going to get that opportunity. What are your thoughts about Leon Edwards? I mean, he got a big win over Donald Cerrone. It wasn't a flashy win, but he got that win. What do you think about this guy? What do you think about this matchup? 
I think Edwards is a good athlete. I think he's got good striking skills. He's he's fleshed him out a little bit. He's got a little the main thing isn't he's not so technically dynamic. He's doing the right things. There's a structure to what he's doing. He's not just throwing out random things. And he seems a little bit more settled defensively. A lot of guys get comfortable throwing strikes, but when you when somebody hits him back or throws at him, that's when you see the panic. That's when you know they haven't done the work because they kind of panic and, and throw when they shouldn't throw and run when they shouldn't run. And and they just do they just show a lack of poise. And that's where you can see that they've had a, a they've kind of plateaued as far as their technical growth and their strategical growth in striking. The big thing with Edwards is he's he's just not very dynamic he's kind of he to me he's more of a workman-like guy and against the lower third tier fourth tier guys he can be dynamic he, he can be he can impose his will he can kind of take over fights but even against a faded donald cerrone and donald cerrone isn't super durable nowadays he's just not he was never had the best chin it is especially not great at at, at welterweight and in that fight was kind of back and forth donald cerrone had his moments i felt at a certain point donald cerrone could have taken over the fight if he had just pressed a little bit harder, if he started off a little bit better. So I don't, I don't feel that Edwards is untouchable. Facing a guy like Nelson, who's a much better athlete, who shot for shot hits harder, and who I think is a better grappler, presents a lot of problems for Leon Edwards. And a lot of the things he likes to fall back on to win fights or get control of the fights won't exist against Nelson. Now, Nelson is suspect as far as his bar- boxing. He doesn't put shots together because he uses that karate style. He kind of moves in and out. He, he, he gauges you, he feints you, he gets you where he wants, and he throws that clean shot or that one-two. He doesn't throw four, fives, and sixes. And he's not good at defending anything past one or two shots because it's all movement, angles, and distance. So if Leon can put consistent pressure on him and really throw volume and get to his body and get to his legs, he can overwhelm him. He can bully him. He can break him down. I saw Rick Story do it. I, I've seen other guys do it. But the thing about it is I don't know that Leon Edwards can handle the power that's coming from Nelson I don't. I believe if Nelson takes Leon Edwards down, it's all over for him. He'll either ground and pound him or just outright choke him into unconsciousness. So the question is: Does Edwards have the poise, the maturity, and the discipline to navigate the distance, to work his way in, to cut off the cage and overwhelm Nelson? I don't think he does. Defensively, he's not sound enough. Athletically, he's not dynamic enough. And physically, if he's if he's imposing his will, then yeah, he can bully him. But I don't think he's got enough durability or explosiveness to impose his will on him. For him to throw that much volume is a risk. For him to pressure is a risk. And he's facing a better grappler, a better athlete, and a harder hitter. Um, I essentially think this is going to be similar to what happened with Oliveira when Nelson fought uh, Cowboy Oliveira. It might be a little bit slower paced because Nelson has more structure and more poise. And he has a little bit more technique. He's not as much of a wild man. But he also doesn't have the athleticism, the physical strength, or the durability of Cowboy. So I, I fully expect Nelson to win and, and do so in dynamic fashion. Who is this fight more important to win? Um, in my opinion, I think it's Edwards. I think, that, you know, because he's been on a run right now. Let me see what his current uh, win streak is, actually. I know he's been on a tear lately. I don't think he's really beaten any big names. But... I think I think it's... Leon Edwards has won one, two, three, four, five, six. He's won six in a row. You, know, you can almost compare him more to like a Neil Magny again with the with the with, with the black male. Um, more because black is that why? Well, yeah, that's exactly why. But like, <laughs> if you, he's beating a lot of guys that aren't ranked, but then when he's put in there against big name ranked guys, he he loses. Like he lost to Kamaru Usman. Um, I don't know who Claudia Silvia is, but he lost that fight as well. Uh, a, a split decision, but he defeated, like you said, like 
and uh, Donald Cerrone that's kind of on his way out. Exactly, but and that, that's my that's point. It's like it's this is important for Edward. The reason I don't say it's as important for Edwards is because Edward isn't really considered a title contender. If he loses this fight, it doesn't really set him all the way. It doesn't set him back that much. It really doesn't because it's kind of a, a fight he, he he usually loses because he's facing a, a better level of guy, a better level of athlete. So you almost expect him to lose. And secondly, losing to Gunnar Nelson isn't the worst thing in the world. Gunnar Nelson at one point was considered a fringe contender. He was a lot lo- He was a lot closer to being a contender than Leon Edwards has ever been, regardless of all the fights he's won in a row. Nelson has always been considered a more of a talent and closer to title contention than Edwards. If Edwards beats Nelson, this is a huge step back for Nelson. This is like you lost, you fell back three or four spots in the rankings if you don't fall out of them losing to Edwards. Edwards loses to Nelson. Edwards he might be back is ranked spotter. number 10 and Nelson is ranked number 12. Yeah. If Nelson loses to Edwards, he's going to drop. He might drop out of the top 15. If, if Nelson beats Edwards, they essentially switch places. So it, okay. it, Nelson has a lot more to risk in this because he wins this fight. He's, he's, he's facing a top five guy. They're putting him with a top five guy next, which means he's in the stone's throw of a title fight. Because they need more active new contenders at welterweight, so he's a stone's throw from a title fight. Leon Edwards is like two or three fights. Even if he beats Nelson, he's still two or three fights away from the title fight because he's already lost to Usman. Who's he going to fight next? Mm-hmm. Colby Covington, who's not going to want to fight him. He doesn't have enough cachet to, to demand a name. So beating Nelson dramatically, for him. losing to Nelson doesn't change anything dramatically for him. Nelson loses to Edwards. That's a problem. That's a big problem for him. Okay. All right. Some good breakdowns, some good analysis there. I'm really looking forward to that fight. Um, the third fight we're going to talk about is my early candidate for all violence fight of the year. Um, I think this is going to be like put the women and children to bed because this fight is going to be disgustingly ugly. Edson Barbosa and Justin Gaethje, I believe, are headlining the UFC on ESPN card too. They may be headlining that event. So if they put them in the cage, well, I can say that they can put them in the cage. They can schedule it for five rounds. This fight ain't going five. I don't care what you say. This fight is not going five. Talk to me about this fight here, man. I'm going to put my early bet on Gaethje just because I think he's more durable. Neither one of these two guys are, are amazingly durable, but I think Justin is a little bit more durable than Edson is. Break this fight down and tell me what you think is going to happen when these two guys are put into the octagon together. I'm really – I'm always impressed by Edson Barbosa because he's so dynamic. His kicks are so powerful. And even though people he's he's gotten bullied and, and kind of ha- had guys impose their will on him, he's never fully broken. Even though he's taken horrendous beatings and lost round after round, he's always willing to come back. He's always willing to fight back against Nurmagomedov. He was getting be- beat from pillar to post. End of the fight, he's throwing spinning kicks. He's backing them off. He's throwing jabs. He's he's loading up on punches against Kevin Lee. He had a brief moment of success. But the biggest problem with Edson Barboza is the book is clearly, clearly, clearly written on him. If you don't give him space, if you get physical with him, if you go, he fires and you fire right back and put pressure on him, he can't fight. He's, his boxing is only good when he can maintain distance and he can scare you off. He kicks you, you're like, oh, I don't want to get kicked like that, Alien. Then you back off. If you stay on him, his kicks aren't as bad. His jab is not as good. His footwork falls all apart. His combination punching falls all apart. I know he's with a new camp. I know they're working on it. But it's like I always tell people I'm working with. You can't. You don't have to attack the technique. Attack the actual character of the fighter you're facing. 
because when they make new adjustments, yeah, they're fine. At first, the jab will be there. When Gaethje comes in, he'll be slick. He'll be moving initially with the pressure. But as the pressure continues, those old habits will come out. The only reason those new techniques work is because he lands a, he'll lands. he be able to land maybe a big shot and scare you off or knock you out before you can wear him down. But if you can stay in there and create the pressure and create the level of contact that he's uncomfortable with, he'll start breaking down. Dan Hooker had a moment where Dan Hooker could have taken over that fight, but Dan Hooker waited too long. He gave him the range he wanted to work at early. Edson Barboza chopped him up. So then by the time Dan Hooker turned it up, too late. You're already, you've already half your power level, your power bar has been taken away from you, and you're trying to apply pressure. Edson's already got confidence. He's letting his hands go. He's throwing everything at you now. No chance of you winning. You had to do that from the jump. Justin Gaethje is going to get on him from the word go. He's going to pressure him, lean on him, attack the body. He's going to kick to the legs. If he gets in tie-ups, he's going to knee his body, work the short uppercuts and the hooks. I, I fully expect Justin, Justin Gaethje to put a pace on him and physically break him down. The only problem with Gaethje is Gaethje has a hard time navigating against really good kickers. Even James Vick had some moments of success against him, and James Vick isn't the kicker that Edson Barboza does. And the fact that Justin Gaethje doesn't know how to back off. So while he's setting a pace and he's slowly breaking you down, he's constantly putting himself in the line of fire to get KO'd. But I fully expect Justin Gaethje to win because Justin, the way Justin Gaethje fights and the level of contact that Justin Gaethje f- forces you to accept is the same thing that's beaten Edson Barboza every single time he's taking the next step up to facing an elite opponent. Every single time he's lost has been a guy who's walked him down, pushed him back, beat him up, broke him down. And that's always been the case. And he has never solved that kind of problem unless he knocks the guy out. And unlike Benil Dariush, Gaethje can take a shot. Gaethje recovers fairly fast. And Gaethje's a superior athlete. Gaethje's a comparable athlete to Barboza. So he's not going to have that huge speed advantage like he does over other guys. And when that athleticism advantage isn't there and a guy's physical with him, Barboza will have moments, but he generally loses those fights, if not by stoppage, by a clear decision. Very true. Very true. Um, I'm really interested in this fight. I don't think either guy is championship material at 155. But this is a fucking fun fight. Like this is like this is literally what it kind of breaks down to now. And I almost feel bad saying that it's a fun fight because it's a fun fight at, at their duress. But this is a type of fight where if you have friends that you are trying to introduce to MMA, this is the fight you have to watch because it's going to be something special and I think it's going to be out of control. Yeah, uh, and you know, it is. it does make you feel bad because when you see you, Gaethje is one of those guys who's very transparent. He talks very openly about his style and the price he has to pay. And it's weird because you talk to his opponents and they say the same thing. They're just like, you know, the way he's fighting, there's a price for that. And that's why he says he's not going to be fighting the next five, six, seven years. He knows his body won't hold up. He knows he doesn't want to put himself through that kind of damage. So it's kind of like a macabre sort of sense of watching him, the enjoyment. It's like we're bloodthirsty ghouls because you know this guy is going to leave a part of himself in the cage. And yet you're excited and hoping that he actually does it. You know, it's like it's one of those things where whether he wins or loses, I got my pint of blood. I don't care. And it's I think Justin Gaethje puts a mirror up to the fans of mixed martial arts. Everybody says, like, you know, I love the technique. Oh, the defense, the layers of offense, the poise, the strategy, you know. But when we see a fight that's slow and strategic, we don't want to watch it. But Justin Gaethje can go in there with his high guard, chopping away at your legs, and even the 
biggest technique Nazi is going to stop what he's doing to go see what's going to happen with Justin Gaethje. So he, he, he really brings it back to the heart of what mixed martial art is. Two guys facing a cage, essentially in the closest thing to a life and death battle you can have, which is what appeals to people. We can talk about the technique, the athleticism, but what we really want to see is the bravery standing up under fire and the savagery of trying to finish someone who's standing up under fire. Yeah, man, I think that this is going to be a um, hell of a moment, and I'm really looking forward. To it. Like this, this is some, this is a fight that gets people excited when there isn't a lot of excitement going on in the news. There's a lot of bad things to talk about. We're going to be talking about some of those in a minute. But before we do, let's talk about one other fight because I want to give women in the May. I want to give them some shine too as well. Um, Pearl Gonzalez is fighting at Invicta FC 34. I can't remember her opponent's first name. Their last name is Porto. Do you know her first name on the top of your head? Wait, say that again. Her, 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 Pearl Gonzalez, her next opponent at Invicta FC 34 is her last name is Porto. Can you remember her first name? Oh, uh, Porto. I know a little bit about her. But Pearl Gonzalez is someone that's really interesting to me because she's, she's, it appears like she's upped her game phenomenally since being booted FC after not looking good in her two fights there. Is she going to? find herself in a position where she gets called back up to UFC, to the UFC, and then gets, the same thing happens again where she gets 0-2 and she gets knocked right back out. What type of fighter is she? Is she someone that's excelling right now? Is she a big fish in a small pond? Or or has she gotten that much better? I think part of it is improvement. I've seen her be more strategic. Um, I've seen her use more of her skill set instead of like, she seems to be more willing to initiate grappling exchanges a little bit earlier, not hang, hang out with the striking so much. She transitions a little bit better. She seems a little, she seems to have some structure and she seems to have a little bit more confidence in what she's doing and direction in what she's doing. But as you said, it's kind of like what happened with Angela Hill. You saw Angela Hill and Invicta. She goes on this huge win streak, wins the title. You're like, it's a brand new Hill. Look at, look at all the skills she's showing. Look at the poise. Look at the discipline. Look at how she's sitting down on shots. Look how she's putting combinations together. Then she comes back up to the UFC and you're like, where where did that Angela Hill go? She's you still see the athleticism, you still see the durability, but you don't see the poise, you don't see the control, you don't see the structure to what she's doing. Pearl Gonzalez, I feel, should have still been in the UFC. Not because the fights she lost were pretty bad, but when she fought Cynthia Calvillo, she had Cynthia Calvillo figured out. Watch that fight again. She had the answers to what Cynthia was doing. She was taking over the fight, and then for some reason, she just stopped doing what it took to win. It, I, it, it was almost as bad as what Jessica I does had been doing for the past four years, just winning a fight and for no reason deciding I'm tired of winning the fight. I want to let her kick my ass because she was chopped. She was had the high guard picking off a couple of shots, sticking her with the jab, chopping her legs away, taking over the fight. And then all of a sudden she just gives it all up. And then when there are other fights, she's just chasing a takedown and just gets beat half within an inch or like she's always had the skill set. She just hasn't had any sort of sense of poise or direction in what she's doing. Like, it's like she didn't have confidence. And in Invicta, she seems more confident. She seems more sure. I think she's de- rededicated herself to the sport. She might have moved to a different camp, and that might have been the changes. Pearl Gonzalez is an attractive young lady. She has, you know, part of the Latin, Latin Hispanic background. So the UFC wanted to push her. She just she just wasn't successful enough to maintain where they could push her at. And I've seen the growth in her. I've seen the changes in her. And I, I really believe she could move back to UFC and she could get some work done. I, I don't think it was a lack of skill. I don't think it was a lack of talent. 
I think what it was is a lack of direction in what she's doing. She didn't have confidence. She didn't have faith. And when things didn't go her way immediately, she slowly broke the heart into it. That's how I, that's how I took her fight. Because technically, she wasn't doing a lot wrong. Strategically, she was doing everything wrong. So I believe that she went back to the UFC. The noise there. The division isn't really set. And she has enough talent and enough experience. And more, more importantly, she has the confidence now where I think she can fight through the rough spots and get to the next, next stages of her career and possibly work herself into contention. Do you think she gets after this fight? If she wins a title, that seems to be the thing in Invicta. You win a title, then all of a sudden they snatch you up. So, yeah, I mean, I, I, think, I think she's taking the Angela Hill route. She'll win a title, and then she'll maybe she'll want to defend it once or twice, and then she'll start getting offers to the UFC to move back up, especially with so many people moving and dropping weight classes. I, I think it's very likely she gets moved back up. Okay, all right, all right, all right. So in talking about dropping weight classes, and that's a great segue. Thank you for setting me up for that. This weekend, we have a important fight because we have TJ Dillashaw dropping down from 135 down to 125 to face off against Henry Cejudo for the flyweight title. Now, they're fighting for a title for a division that doesn't necessarily exist right now or is kind of getting wiped out. We're going to talk about that in a second. But we have an Olympic champion and, and uh, Olympic gold medalist, fantastic wrestler in Cejudo, who's kind of grew his game, added and worked on other areas in his game enough that he defeated probably one of the greatest fighters of all time in, in Demetrius Johnson. And he's facing off against a guy in TJ Dillashaw that has so many intangibles. I mean, he looks, he seems like he's a great student. He continues to learn, he continues to apply the, his, his craft in so many different ways that he just looks like the almost the perfect personification of a mixed martial artist. What do you think about this fight, Schwann, and who do you think is going to come out on top? The first thing I have to say is a lot of people are saying, a lot of people are against Henry Cejudo. They don't, they don't think he has a chance of winning this fight. They feel like, they feel like TJ's too good, TJ's too big, TJ's too established. And I, I want to listen to that argument, but whether you think he beat Demetrius Johnson or not, I need everybody to understand one thing. Henry Cejudo is not a stupid fighter. When he fought Demetrius the first time, Demetrius handled him easily, got taken down, got right back up, meet him, fight was over. Henry Cejudo went back to the drawing board, reestablished his game, fought Benavides, looked much more improved on the feet, much more improved defensively, much more improved offensively, much more improved as far as the structure of what he's doing and the aggression what he does it with. He fought Wilson Hayes and put on a masterclass performance. Just outclassed him on the feet, wiped, wiped him off the face of the earth and made it look easy. Then he fought Sergio Pettis, wasn't able to control the, the distance as much on the feet, wasn't able to get past that lead leg and that jab of Sergio. So then he just switched it up and out-wrestled him on his way to a clear decision win. Then he goes into a fight against DJ. And whether you think he won or he lost, you have to say he improved his performance by a thousand percent in that fight. He looked much better than he did in the first fight. Looked like a completely different fighter, much more poise, much more durability, accuracy in place in his shots, countering actively, not allowing DJ to to build on any success he has, exploiting some of DJ's habits of backing up in straight lines and forcing DJ to get into wrestling exchanges and grappling exchanges where he was able to control him and, and basically shut him down from getting reversals or getting submissions or getting back to his feet to put together striking combinations. 
if you watch enough rematches, you see guys don't show that much improvement. We just got done talking about Alexander Gustafsson and how he had years to improve, and he performed worse than he did in the first fight. And usually in rematches, guys guys look worse. Anderson Silva looks worse against Chris Weidman. Jose Aldo looked worse. I understand there wasn't as much time, but he looked worse. Daniel Cormier, he looked better to an extent, but then he got he finished the first first fight against John Jones. He got finished in the second one. He at least went the whole five rounds in the first one. He got wiped out in the second one. Cejudo made adjustments strategically and technically and in his preparation physically to perform better and allow himself to at least go the distance. If nothing else, if you think he lost the fight, fine. But he went the distance and he was competitive against a guy who really hadn't ever been stymied or slowed strategically, technically, or physically. You've got to give him some credit for that. TJ, as good as he is, has been beating up on idiot, dumb fighters with ridiculous game plans, limited skill sets, and no IQ. Beating at Cody Garbrandt, great athlete, no IQ. And he's got a camp full of people with no IQ. Cody had a winning game plan. His camp hyped him up. Then he got knocked out in the second round. And then they came a quick turnaround with no adjustments. And then he got wiped out again. TJ is best when he's fighting guys with limited skill sets who do not have good IQ and have no, no idea of how to make adjustments or how to game plan. John Lineker was another impressive fight of his. Lineker is tough. Lineker is powerful. Does, it, does anybody equate high IQ with John Lineker? Mm, no. I don't. I mean, if you do, no offense. I don't consider him a particularly smart fighter. When TJ has faced smart fighters, he's had issues. He faced Dominic Cruz. Dominic Cruz is rusty, not sharp. He's missing punches. He's getting taken down. He's getting countered by a guy who, who, who at best is an average offensive striker. Average at best. And he's lighting TJ up. He faced Rafael Asuncao. First fight he lost. Second fight, even though he won it, it still wasn't one of his more impressive showings. He, he won it. He got the volume. He took over the pacing of the fight, but he wasn't able to put the combinations away. He usually puts them together. He wasn't knocking them out. He wasn't just knocking them all over the cage. It was a workmanlike, focused decision. But that was against a guy who had some poise, who had some structure, who had some discipline, who had some skills. Sunset was a tough, tough fight for anyone. Exactly. And now he's facing another guy who is also a comparable athlete, who is also very smart, and a guy who's been looking at TJ for a long time, a guy who's been game planning for ETJ, a guy who's got a camp, which was able to, at the worst, neutralize Demetrius Johnson. That's the part that nobody's thinking about. Cejudo's not an idiot. Cejudo knows how to get to TJ, and he has the athleticism to get to TJ. The problem with Cejudo is he doesn't have the depth of skill, especially in striking, to really expose TJ past a certain point because TJ's so much more seasoned. He works at such a high pace. He should be the bigger, stronger, more durable guy. And he's, a, he's an active kicker, which Cejudo's had a history of having problems with guys who are active and powerful kickers. TJ is a much more accurate, much more busier, much more powerful kicker than Demetrius Johnson. Maybe not as tricky or clever, but much more powerful, much more accurate, has, has a wider array of strikes working for that aspect. But the biggest, and, and, and the biggest issue is, the biggest issue is, in this is, it's going to be a matter of, can Cejudo show enough technical growth from his last fight? And does he have a good enough read on TJ that he can damage him early and control the fight moving forward? On TJ's end, the question is, does the weight cut hurt TJ? Because TJ, as good as he is, a lot of his success is based off of 
his ability to throw crazy volume, his ability to take crazy punishment. Watch all of TJ's fights, even after he got with Ludwig. He gets hit a lot. First fight with Burrell, hit a ton. Second fight with Burrell, hit a ton. Jose, uh, Joe Soto landed every single right hand he threw. Dominic Cruz is lighting him up. Cody Garbrandt was lighting him up. Everybody gets to TJ's chin. So the question becomes, does he have the durability and his weight, has the weight cut affected his durability? Has the weight cut affected his volume? Because if he, does, if he has 10% less volume and 10% less durability, Zahuda's going to win this fight going away. Because TJ's too easy to hit early and TJ is too easy to rile up early in fights. He, he relies on his stamina and he relies on his durability to carry him through until he can make the adjustment and then he slowly starts picking you apart. Now, if the fight goes long, I have to favor TJ. He's more accomplished guy. He's gone more rounds against elite guys. He's shown that he can maintain a pace in a tough physical fight with a certain level of athlete. And he's proven that he can make adjustments. Henry Cejudo is essentially when he's won, he's just out game plan guys. He hasn't had to go to a plan B. He's essentially his plan A and his athleticism has been enough for him to dictate the terms of the fight and win the fight moving forward. So it's really a matter of his athleticism, his Olympic pedigree, and his ability to strategize against TJ's durability, his volume, and his ability to make adjustments. Who's going to be the one to take over the fight first? And once the fight's taken over, can once the fight's taken over, can Cejudo maintain control or will TJ make an adjustment and turn the fight back around and slowly break him down over five? That's the question that we have to pose to, to the fans. That's the question that I pose to people when they discuss the fight. Even though I'm going to, even though I should favor TJ, he's shown to be the more durable guy. He's shown to be the busier guy. He's shown to be the more accomplished guy. He's shown to be the guy who can make the adjustments in tight situations and has a corner that while Dwayne hasn't been great for everybody he's cornered. He's been great for TJ. He should have the corner that's been able to make the top tough decisions and the unorthodox adjustments, like deciding he's just going to throw naked kicks against Cody. That's a risky proposition against a counter guy. But Dwayne took that chance knowing his, his student and it ended up working out for them. I should go with TJ. I feel that, I feel that Henry Cejudo is a little bit more clever than we're giving him credit for. I figure his chin and his durability is a little bit better than we're giving him for. And I think people are forgetting how good an athlete he is and the fact that he actually is a competent striker. Maybe he's not a finesse striker. Maybe he's not layered defensively, but he's aggressive. He's hard-hitting. He's athletic. And he's smart enough to transition between the wrestling and the boxing. I, I feel that if TJ Dillashaw is physically compromised, Cejudo is going to stop him and stop him early. But if TJ's 100%, it's going to take a perfect fight from Cejudo, but I think Cejudo can win a decision. So let's say that happens. I'm not sure if you saw the uh, media day press conference today, but Cejudo put um, Dana White on the spot and says if he wins and keeps the title, that the flyweight division should stay around, stick around. And Dana White basically no sold him. Said that that's not the case. That's not. He's not sure if that's going to happen or not. Do you think there's, there's two questions here? A, do you think that that should occur? Should they try to keep that division around if Henry Cejudo wins? And the second part of this question is how self. It's interesting. Did you? I don't know if you also saw that T.J. Dillashaw basically admitted that this is a selfish move uh, for him. Right? He was one of the first people that was pushing for uh, a fighters association with the MMA 
FA or whatever the hell it was called a couple years ago. And now he's taking steps to basically cost but a bunch of fighters their their job because of him fighters are going to lose their job and he basically scoffed at it and said you know this is a selfish sport so the first question is if Cejudo wins should they keep this division around I I mean should they yeah I just don't think they're going to I think they're just trying to find any I mean they're trying to Amanda Nunes the division any anybody who's a featherweight fan understands what I mean by that that's what they're trying to do TJ's Amanda Nunes. They're trying to get him to g- have a reason to eliminate the whole division. And it's clear they don't want it. Should they keep it? Yeah. Especially if he wins. His title His title's only went up for grabs. So, yeah, they should keep it. So, But they're not – I don't think they're going to. I don't think they liked it. I don't think the only guys they're keeping are guys they feel they can fight at Bantamweight. And a lot of those guys can't. And they're going to start losing and getting beat up and shorting their careers. They just don't care. They never cared. And TJ and DJ Demetrius Johnson is good a guy as he is, good a fighter is. He did not help their cause either because he was just like TJ. He didn't care. He was like, close the whole division down. I don't care. Do it. Close it. I'll go somewhere else. So he didn't help things either. The other fighters in the division didn't help things either. Dana White just doesn't like them. He never did. And this division's as good as dead. If for some reason they let it carry on for a little bit longer, they'll be looking for any excuse, any excuse to close it. So we might as well just keep, be prepared to not have that division exist. That Let's just let's just stop holding on to that fantasy. If they wanted it to be to exist, they wouldn't have let go so many flyweight fighters in the first place, which they've done in the past couple of weeks. Yeah, it's definitely, um, it's definitely going to be intriguing to see if they keep this division around. I agree with you. I don't think they do, but we'll see um, what happens there. So then the other part of this equation was the question about Dillashaw. I think it, it's a bad look. Unfortunately, it's the look that the sport gave us. Um, this, as he said, it's a selfish sport. He's looking out for himself. The fighters themselves have had multiple opportunities to get this right, and they have not done it. I mean, no one, I mean, they're not. We can continue griping about the situation and how it's impacting them, but they're not taking the steps necessary to protect themselves. So you can't really even be mad about it anymore. So it is what it is. So it's a selfish move. It's it kind of makes you think of all of those snake comments that Conor McGregor used to make about T.J. Dillashaw because they seem to be creeping up right about now, don't you think? So it's not a good look for him, and it's unfortunate, but that's that's a situation that we have in the sport right now. On this show, I think it was a year ago, I don't remember the episode, I I mean, like, everybody else was like, well, you know, all the other analysts, and I'm not bashing analysts, I'm not bashing bashing other podcasters, I'm not doing that at all, but the difference between them is they want a lot of these guys want access. They they want to talk to the fighters. They want to talk to their coaches. So they're going to say certain things because they don't want to offend anybody. They want to put it nicely. I didn't do that. I said from the beginning, TJ is a phony dude. He's a phony and he's a hypocrite. As soon as he started calling out Demetrius Johnson, and I even called out Demetrius Johnson. I'm like, they're both hypocrites. They're both saying these things. Two months ago, they were perfectly cool. They respect each other. Now they're talking trash about each other. He's ducking me. He's scared. He doesn't want to fight me. I was like, TJ's just selling an angle. TJ's out for himself, and I have no problem with that. But he spent so much of his time trying to play out the fact that he's not, I'm not, it's not me. I, I care about my team. I'm here for a team alpha male. I'm here for these guys. I'm just glad he finally said it. I'm glad he finally said it. If he just would have said it from the beginning, we all would have been cool. But he kept trying to portray, like, 
I'm this victim. They're bullying me. They don't like me. I just want to do my best for the team and myself. I just want to look out for everybody and myself and my wife and my kid. No, I do. You're doing it for you. You want to have something to hang your hat on. You want to get paid money. You don't care about the other fighters. You don't care about your team. You don't care about anybody who is not directly helping you and assisting you and moving forward in your goal. And there's nothing wrong with that. John Jones is the same way. <laughs> so there's nothing wrong with that. A lot of fighters are the same way. Daniel Cormier is not that way. Kane Velasquez isn't that way. But TJ Dillashaw is. So he's doing, of course, he's doing this for himself. Of course, he doesn't care about anybody else. It's always been his end game to be the best and to stand out. And whoever can help him get further along, he is going to stick with or ride with until he gets to a point where they can't take him any further. Then he's going to move on to the next thing. And you know what? That's, that's really how life works. That really is. That's how life works. But in mixed martial arts, it's, it's the same problem we always talk about every episode of this show. These guys, they don't care about each other. And that's why they can't have a union. And that's why they can't get their career straight. And that's why Dana White can turn them against each other and stick them on each other. Because all they want is a spotlight for themselves. They want Dana rubbing their shoulders, putting the belts around them. And they want the Fertitas or whoever's running things calling their phone and letting them call shots. There's no sense of camaraderie, even though they always talk about, oh, the honor among mixed martial artists. No, there isn't. There's not. Because if there was, you'd be willing to sacrifice so that somebody else could get ahead. You'd be trying to assist that fighter in getting ahead in his career. And not enough guys who are in position to make a difference are willing to open their mouths or stick up for each other. So even though people are going to hate TJ for doing this, if you really think about it, most fighters on a big platform, they all subscribe to this. They all subscribe to this. They're not paying other people's bills. They're not taking care of other people's kids. I mean, you're on the you're on a you're on a camp you're in the same camp as a multi a guy who's defended his belt multiple times, a guy who's getting paid a ton of money to take out a division. Why are you struggling? Why are you struggling financially? Exactly. You know, why I mean, are you struggling? The, the, the the fighters King King Mo, King Mo, great guy, great guy. He's he'll never tell you this. He'll never tell anybody this, but he's told me this. Tons of fighters right now who have championships or had championships or big names right now. He helped them get in the game, pay for their training. He trained with them for free. He got them into camps. He let them sleep at his house. He paid bills. He held people down. He held a gang of people down. Chael Sonnen's another guy who held a gang of people down. But they don't go around telling everybody that. But most fighters aren't like that. If most fighters were like that, the fighters wouldn't be in these positions they're in. But they only care about themselves. And they'll say, it's all about us. The UFC is against us. But wait till they get in a position of power. All of a sudden, they get real quiet. All of a sudden, they don't want to say nothing no more because they got their paycheck. TJ Dillashaw is one of them. Jose Aldo is another one. Donald Cerrone is another one. It's unfair. They're not paying us. They're not paying us. All of a sudden, they stop talking. Why? Because those checks started clearing again. A couple more zeros got put on that check. So now, now I don't want to fight for anybody's rights but my own. Amanda Nunes used to care about other, other people and how they treated female fighters until her checks started getting bigger. Then she stopped caring about other divisions and other fighters. It's just the way it works. It's just the way this sport works. And I can't hate TJ any more than I hate any other fighter who puts themselves first and says to hell with everybody else, which is almost 98% of them, based on what I've heard and based on what other fighters complain about. If everybody's helping each other out, how's everybody struggling like this? How's everybody struggling like that? So I want to move on to the co-main event because we got something important to talk about here. Where Greg Hardy is fighting, I think it's Brian. Alan Crowder. Um, this is an important fight here. I'm going to be writing about this later on tonight. But we know who Greg Hardy is. We know who we know. Rachel Osevich is on this card as well. Um, 
this is a pretty big moment here because a we we've talked about the situations been rehashed over and over again. Greg Hardy is an individual that many think should not be fighting in the, um, in the UFC. To definitely not be fighting on this card. We talked about it at length. The fact they initially kept him out of the media calls and media dates, but he was there answering questions today. And if you watch some of the videos, I've retweeted some of them. His answers about his past and about what he's done, they're eerily like, um, they're, they're very similar to Floyd Mayweather's answers. And what I mean by that is Floyd Mayweather's answers when he's asked about his sexual assault and the way he treats women, or domestic violence, excuse me, not a sexual assault. Greg Hardy has a, a sexual assault case against him, or he had a sexual assault case against him. Greg Hardy doesn't have the same level of indignation that Floyd Mayweather has, but he does have the lack of remorse. Um, Aaron Bronster, Bronster I, can't, I can't think of the guy's last name, gave him an opportunity to, almost an opportunity to apologize. He asked him if he's remorseful about what he's been, what he, what his situation was in the past. Greg Carter gave him a non-answer, an opportunity for him to really apologize and say I was wrong for what I did, et cetera, et cetera. He did not do that. Multiple times he was given opportunities to basically apologize and address what he did and man up to what he did. There isn't any alleged or allegation. No, he did what 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 we know that he did to that woman, and he does not do it. Time and time again, it spits in the face of domestic violence victims like Rachel, um, right, Rachel Ostevich and other women who are on the, the UFC roster or other women that are in this country and this world right now, spits in their face. And now we're at a situation where we have to ask the, these questions. And I hope this is what the piece I'm going to write about later on. It's like, what is the media's obligation? What is the fans' obligation to continue asking these questions? Because this is a big moment. And you see, ESPN is a huge sports platform and that the UFC is hoping that they can leverage this platform into additional viewers, additional revenue. But this is a story that ESPN is focusing on. There's been multiple conversations about Greg Hardy being on, on this card in a way that other ESPN cards will not get the same type of, of, of attention. And this is not positive attention, especially as across sports, we're seeing more of an onus on the way athletes treat women and the way male toxicity le leads to the treatment of women. This is not a good situation for the UFC, but they continue to push back and they push back in a way where it's almost, you saw Dana White's comments about Ariel, Ariel Hawaii talking about he doesn't give a fuck what Ariel thinks, but Ariel's basically made it clear that he is not a fan of Greg Hardy being on his card. Dana White's indignation about this whole situation is just another, just another black eye on this whole matter as well, too. Give me your thoughts about this co-main event. Tell me a little bit about Alan Crowder. I don't know much about him. I know that he all of his losses have been by knockout, so they put him up, up against a guy who gets slept. Um, but talk to me about this fight from a strategic standpoint and also talk to me about what your thoughts are on Greg Hardy being on, on his part. Well, first, I'm going to address this fight, and it's just going to be me getting my soapbox again. First off, and this doesn't – I understand people have jobs. People have jobs. They have to cover the sport. They have to pick how they say their words because they want to continue to cover the sport. They need access. Maybe this is how they make their living. Maybe this is how they want to make their living. So they have to play the game, especially now that ESPN's evolved. That's not some, this isn't minor leagues anymore. You could really get blackballed and really have any chance of having a long-standing career covering mixed martial arts snuffed out very quickly. Even though, you know, the popular stance is 
uh, we're against it. We're disgusted by it. Yeah, that that's not it. Otherwise, you wouldn't be putting it on. You wouldn't be putting it on TV if you're so disgusted by it. But the fact of the matter is, media, the media talks one way on Twitter and they talk one way on Instagram. They talk one way on Facebook. And then when they get in front of the man, they talk another way. Now, somebody's going to tell me that's just being professional. I'm like, dude, these dudes can read. They know that you said he's a coward. He's gutless. He's disgusting. He makes you sick. You said that over. You said that over here. Now you're in front of him, and now you're giving him an opportunity to say sorry. You're you're probing him with questions. I I understand why you got to do it, but it comes on as it comes off as it comes off as very disingenuous to me. Because if you want to make your point and you want to say what you have to say, you say what you have to say. It does me no good to see you on Twitter talking about how you're disgusted with it. They need to make a stand and doing it all over here and doing it outside of the UFC event and doing it on some some smaller podcast, some smaller TV show. I need you to say it when it matters. When Dana White's there asking, and he can interrupt a question, when you're talking to, to Greg Hardy, I need you to talk with that same vigor, that same fire, that same fire and brimstone. That's what I need. I don't get it from everybody. And the simple fact of the matter is people are scared to lose access. They're scared to lose jobs. Money rules everything. And third, third of all, nobody wants to admit this. People are scared of Greg Hardy. I hate, I hate how people put on this fake tough guy act. Like, oh, well, you know, it's so disgusting. If you saw Greg, and I'm not talking about you. If these people saw Greg Hardy slapping at some woman or choking him, they wouldn't do anything. They would not do anything. Greg Hardy's a big dude. Even without training, he could probably beat up a lot of average people who train. With training, he probably walks through 98% of the people on the face of the planet. So all these people who are so disgusted by it, I don't think they'd do anything if they saw Greg Hardy attacking somebody, attacking some strange woman. I don't think they'd do anything about it. I can say that I would at least say something because that's been my history of my life. I've always done that. Ask anybody who knows me, randomly. I'm just always running across somewhere to stop somebody from assaulting somebody. That's just how I am. But these people are, they come off as disingenuous because they're very fake and stuff, but they're still showing up to the show. If you don't support it, don't watch the show at all. If you're a fighter who doesn't support it, don't, don't say, I'm not fighting on this card. But people have to, kids to pay for, they got mortgages, that's all well and good. But it's like I told you before, if you want to evoke a change, somebody's got to be willing to take a hit. Take to your bank account, your kid can't go to private school. You can't cover MMA is, is for a living. You get kicked out of ESPN. You get blackballed. Somebody's got to be willing to take a risk to make a stand to highlight the issue. But if the people involved in it won't take a risk and the people covering it won't take a risk and the people fighting on it won't take a risk, why the hell are we getting mad at fans for watching it? Yeah, we're watching it. You're benefiting from it. Your website's getting clicks because you're covering this. You're getting paid to fight on this card. You're getting paid to cover this. You're getting paid to put this guy on TV because you work for the UFC. So if we're going to get mad at if we're going to we're getting mad, mad at fans for supporting it, get mad at the people who are actually benefiting from this. They're they're making money. I'm not making money off this. You're not making money off this, but they are. And then they'll come over somewhere else and tell us how disgusting it is. I don't necessarily I'm I'm all for giving people a second chance, but he's already had a second chance. I'm all for people getting being able to move past things but for you to move past something you have to own it he hasn't had to own it because he used to be a pro athlete and he was rich and he had people around him and now he's a famous mixed martial artist and he's gonna have people around him he's probably never gonna have to deal with these issues that's poor people issues he's not a poor person that's non-celebrity issues he's not a non-celebrity person so he's never really gonna have to deal with it and for all the talk everybody says he's not open he's not honest he won't own it None of these media people will press him on the issue. I don't mean ask him. I mean press him. 
say, hey, well, yeah, but you didn't say you're sorry. You didn't own it. Nobody's going to ask that second or third question. None of them are going to because they're scared of losing their access or they're scared that this dude's going to flip out and choke the hell out of them. It's one of those two things. So I can't support it because he hasn't owned it. I can't support it because he hasn't shown, at least to me, remorse. Maybe he's shown remorse to somebody else. Maybe he's apologized to her privately. I don't fucking know. But he hasn't shown any public remorse. He hasn't shown any public gestures that shows he's learned and he's going to help other people get past this or not be in these circumstances. But I can't get mad at fans who watch the show because there's a gang of media all making money off the show, all talking about the show. Even if they're not talking about his fight, they're talking about other fights on the show, which is going to get them clicks. If you're really going to make a stand, you got to make a stand and not talk about it at all. I'm not talking about anything connected to the show because I don't want to give him any support or any light on my show. I don't care if people do or they don't, but people talk really hard on one on one platform, and then when they have the chance to really make news and really take a stand and really ruffle some feathers, everybody kind of falls back. I get why you fall back, but if you're going to fall back, fall back all the time. Don't just fall back when it's convenient and then come on Twitter and start ranting and raving about how he's this and he's that and he's that and he's this. You saw Greg Hardy choking some stranger, not your wife, not your daughter, some stranger. Would you say anything? Man or woman? Probably not. So if you're not going to say nothing then, what are you saying something for now? You know, it, it, the inconsistency bothers me. If you're not defending pe- random women are getting beat up in your neighborhood, because we know it happens all the time, what are you doing it against Greg Hardy for? Because he's a celebrity, because he's an actor? You do down the street beat his wife. Why don't you say something to him? I just don't like the, the lack of genuine concern. I think it's fake concern. I think it's fake concern and fake outrage. And no, if it was real, these people would press him when they had a chance to talk to him. They say to hell with Mike. ESPN credential. I'm here to make my stand. Ain't nobody doing that. Ain't nobody doing that. And I'm not blaming them for not doing it. I'm blaming them for sending mixed messages and attacking fans who are supporting the show while they're making a paycheck off the show. It, it just is very disingenuous to me. That being said, Greg Hardy's elite athlete. If he can take a punch, he could be very well be a UFC heavyweight champion in about two to three, maybe four years. He's that much better of an athlete than everybody competing in mixed martial arts. He is a world-class athlete, and people don't watch other sports, have no idea how athletic these guys are. People think Cain Velasquez is more athletic than Cam Newton. You cover the Panthers. You know Cain, you know Cain Velasquez is a better athlete than Cam Newton, right? We both know this. Is it? Say that again? I said, we both know Cain Velasquez is not a better athlete than Cam Newton. Oh, of course. But MMA fans think this is true. They think that they're on equal levels. They think that J.J. Watt is only a slightly better athlete than Derek Lewis. That's, that's the gap in understanding in athleticism and sports because mixed martial arts guys kind of hang in mixed martial arts circles. Me and you understand this. Other people who watch sports understand this. And the simple fact of the matter is if these guys can take a punch, they could literally dominate the sport because they are so much faster, so much quicker, so much more explosive. And they're so much more used to using their bodies because they've been doing it at a high level in, another, in a high-contact sport for years. Only, only question is, can he take a punch? If he can take a punch... You saw how far Derek Lewis got with limited skills, limited striking, limited grappling, limited wrestling. He went all the way to a title fight. Greg Hardy's 10 times the athlete he is. 10 times faster, 10 times quicker, 10 times more explosive. Only thing we don't know is can he take a shot? If he can take a shot as good as Derek Lewis, tell me, how far does, how does, how far does Greg Hardy go if he can take a shot as good as Greg Lewis, as Derek Lewis? Very far, sir. So, I mean, if you look at it from the sporting aspect, you have to cover it. You're essentially having a suit. You're you're essentially getting a taste of seeing what a world class athlete could do 
if he had, if he came in close to his prime, really worked on his craft, it was built correctly. We saw Matt Mitrione do too fairly well with limited skills and just the athletic skill base. Greg Hardy's the logical next step forward. And if he didn't have this storyline of being abusive behind him, so many people would be into the story to see what an athlete of his caliber could do in the ultimate sport. So as, as, a, as a pure sporting fan, wanting to see how, how much athleticism plays a part in fighting, I have to be a fan of it. But as far as somebody who, who doesn't approve of, I don't approve of domestic abuse, men or women, women on men, anything. I, I'm just not a fan of it. Never have been, never will be. Will always say something against people who do it. Will always insert myself anytime I see it. I can't. I can't go along with it. I'm not going to portray this disgust and this this anger. I don't have to do all that stuff. I don't do that. I I don't have to do all that. I do other stuff, so I don't have to put on this front that a lot of people are putting on. But from that front, I, I'm not a big fan of it, and I'm not a big fan of people who are trying to shame people who are going to watch the event because you're getting money for in this event. So until unless you give your check back or you refuse to cover it at all, don't talk to the fans about how they're being disgusting and you're disappointed in them. I'm disappointed in you. You're drawing a check from this, dude. There's women drawing a check from this. Well, I'm not supporting him. You're still drawing a check. The fans aren't. You're telling me he's a terrible fan because he's watching it. You're drawing a check from it. You're a guy who's got daughters. You're a man in the world. You're drawing a check from it. You're a woman in the world. You're drawing a check from it. You're attending the show. But you're going to tell me the rest of the people attending the show are messed up? What are you talking about, dude? Just because you didn't watch his fight? Well, I didn't watch his fight. Yeah, you proved the point there. How about not watching the whole card? Then we can start talking. So and I'm not saying that. The fight then, like, um, what are your thoughts about the actual fight itself? Like, do you think this I, is I don't know enough about this guy. I assume this is a showcase. I, I assume this is a showcase fight. I really do. This is yeah, just I a fight. I really know too much about Alan Crowder. Huh? Good. I said he's fought once in the UFC before. Um, assist. I think it's three career losses. He's been knocked out in all of them. So I think that I agree. I think this is a really a showcase opportunity for um, Greg. It's like the contender fights. It's to show how savage and how dynamic and how incredibly athletic and devastating he he can be. Because they're hoping if he puts together enough knockouts, just like John Jones is hoping he can put enough wins, the more he wins, the less we talk about the other stuff. We still talk about it. We talk about it a little bit less. If Greg Hardy starts winning, maybe we'll talk a little bit less about the other stuff. And they're putting him in a position to showcase his full athleticism. It's not a really a skill test. It's an athleticism. They're expecting him to knock this guy out and do it in dynamic fashion. And regardless of what you think about Greg Hardy, even his contender fights, people were like, oh, my God, the, the explosiveness, the strength, the, the savagery of what he's doing. It's impressive. So they're trying to sell you on the impressiveness and the athleticism and the story of a football player translating trans transitioning to MMA. I can't, I don't know this guy and he might pull an upset, but this is clearly a fight made to make Greg Hardy look like a monster. They're doing the Deontay Wilder with him. Have him going with a bunch of guys who aren't very good over and over to get him used to it, get him over the, the stage fight, get him comfortable fighting. And slowly, you'll slowly raise his level of opposition and heavyweights thin anyways. So it's not that like there's a lot of top level guys in there. You slowly move him up. By the time you're ready to have him face a name, those names are past their prime or they've taken a lot of beatings and they've lost a step and it gives them his best chance to win because he's still in the top 2% of athletes in the world. So they're doing the right thing with him. They're giving him every opportunity to build a name, to draw eyes and to make money. And that's what they're using him for. And that's what he's using them for. 
I wish I could tell you more about this guy, but I'd almost have to guarantee this guy's here to get knocked out. Yeah, I think that's how that, that's, that's going to end. And it'll be interesting to see what types of questions that Greg Hardy faces after the fact. Um, let's look around the rest of this card and let's talk about what else stands out to us. Uh, I'm going to let you go first because uh, there are a couple of small pieces that stand out to me. So what else on this card stands out to you on Saturday? Uh, one thing that stands out to me is going to be the uh, the fight between uh, JoJo Calderwood and uh, I can't remember her name. I can't say it right. Ariana Lipinski? Lipsky? Uh, I know Lip- she's Lipinski. Yeah, that's just because she's she's got a big following because she's known as a very aggressive, very violent, very physically dominant and explosive punishing fighter. And JoJo Calderwood. Drop weight, moved up weight classes. She always said fighting a straw weight kind of compromised her cardio, compromised her explosiveness, compromised her durability. She's even though she has been an up and down in her career, she's still one of the more popular, more name brand girls out there. And moving down, she got a quick win at a moving up. She got a quick win at flyweight, so she's trying to build on that. And they're essentially putting her in with a girl who everybody expects, fully expects to be a star in mixed martial arts. So it's really a crossroads fight. If Lipsky loses. It's not a big step back because JoJo is established. She's seasoned. She's accomplished. She's beat some good names. She's been competitive with some other good names. But if JoJo loses, you might have just seen the birth of a new star because a lot of people have a lot riding on her. A lot of people believe she's going to be the next step in a possible title contender. So she beats JoJo. She instantly is going to start. It's going to. They're going to have a hard time not pushing her into a top ten fight. If they move her correctly, she'll move into like a top 15, top 12 fight, something like that. But she's she's got the athleticism. She's got the durability. She's got the aggression and the volume and the dynamic striking, creative striking to really move to the next stage and and make some noise in this division and possibly challenge the, the, cha- the champion. So this is a big fight because JoJo wins this fight. It's a step forward to her and she's a name and she'd be a fight or two away from a title fight herself. If this girl beats her, um, we're talking about a girl who's probably might be three, three, two, three fights away from title shot herself, depending on who they fight, put her up against next. So this is a very important fight for the division. Nobody has stood out dominantly, dynamically enough to say that to create any interest against Valentina. Whoever of these girls wins is, excuse me, these women wins is going to be done in dynamic fashion. It should be very exciting and it should be very decisive. And that's going to put them head and shoulders above the rest of them who are just winning split decisions and exciting but fairly uneventful fights. They need someone who can stand out and make a name for themselves. And this is the perfect perfect platform for these two girls. It's a perfect style matchup too. So this is, I think it's a very important fight for the flyweight division. Uh, that, that's a pretty interesting breakdown. It's interesting because, you know, as always, we're both usually kind of focused on women's MMA here. And oh, yeah. JoJo's coach often has issues with me. I wrote an article about her. He was not happy about it. He didn't say it was wrong. He just didn't say he liked the tone of it. Uh, well, you know, people can get out of here with the damn tone conversations. I'm interested I'm in the I fight mean, between... Um, go ahead. I'm sorry. I said, like, I, some a, a guy I wrote for told me, told me about it, and I was like, I'm like, did he say it was wrong? And they're like, well, it's a little bit too harsh. I understand the harshness, but the point of it was to show why she's been losing. That means I have to explore her holes and limitations. If I tell all the good things about her, then why am I writing an article about why she's losing? I, I haven't explained anything. I'm a fan of hers, but I can't, I can't ignore facts. We, we can't ignore facts. We don't do that over here. 
We pay attention to facts. We don't ignore them. Sorry about that. Go ahead. <laughs> no, 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 go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. Um, but so yeah, ahead so and, and I was looking yeah. at the Rachel Osevich page Van Zandt fight for obvious reasons. Um, I don't think either one of these two women are going to be top contenders. I, I mean, I, we saw the reaction when this fight was initially booked, how the male contingent re- responded to it. We know that that's why it's kind of getting it's such a prominent position on this card. Um, I'm interested in seeing how the commentators talk about Rachel in this fight and how they, and then overlaying that with how they talk about Greg during his fight. Are they going to be talking about Rachel as like a big hero who's overcoming something, um, over- overcoming the abuse she went through by her husband who almost who was basically charged with uh, attempted uh, murder? Um, are they going to talk about her in such a uh, heroic type of fashion? And then on the flip side, a few minutes later, maybe an hour later, talk about Greg Hardy as if nothing's ever happened. Because that's two sides to the same coin that should be covered the same way. Have we ever forgot? And we also forgot, I know it's not very popular, but didn't Paige Van Zandt have an issue where she was either assaulted or sexually assaulted? I do not know. I want to I want and I, I, I want to say I want to say that happened. And 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 this is gonna this is gonna sound really weird for me to say this, but in both cases, everybody's they've had this trauma, and I'm not downplaying it at all. But I I had this conversation with somebody, and I'm like, if Rachel wins this fight, or she comes up puts a courageous performance on, there's gonna and I don't know that her managers, I would assume they wouldn't do this, but in real life, people use things as angles. If she wins the fight or puts on a courageous performance, is there's a platform to discuss not just what happened to her. It's a good way for her to be a symbol for other people because she's competing and fighting through this and not letting it stop her. It's an actual physical, you can actually see her fighting. But also, it's a good platform for her as a person. I mean, she could become a face for domestic violence. Mm-hmm. I mean, Beck Rawling, Beck Rawling became somewhat of a face of domestic violence because of her experience. Rachel, as well, could become a face for it because of her experience. And as far as an actual technical matchup, neither one of these fighters are particularly technical. They're both experienced. They're both very athletic. They're fairly tough. They, you know, they're competent in most range. It, they're mostly competent in specific ranges, but they're not, like you said, they're not title contenders. They're not, they're not really named fighters because they've beaten the best. And they're not really fighters who put together huge win streaks. It's essentially, I hate to say it, they're appealing to the, the lowest aspect of the MMA spectrum, which is they're attractive women. And mm-hmm. men like watching fight and roll around that's that's let's be honest that's what it's coming down to because if we're going off fighting records neither one of them should be placed highly on this card i don't know if they should be on the card either both are both of them are coming off of decisive losses so i mean i think i wouldn't i i really think that espn and them went ahead with this fight one to appease the fighters because the fighters wanted it and two because this creates a storyline i mean Regardless of what you think about it, the fact that she's fighting on this car with Greg Hardy has gotten how many clicks on how many websites? We're talking about it. I guarantee you everybody's talking about it. And that's one more reason for people to talk about it, which is still advertisement. It's just word of mouth advertisement. And watch it to see if anything interesting happens or see if something else happens or see what happens. I mean, depending on how they play this, this could be good for Greg Hardy. It could be really good for Rachel. If Greg Hardy comes off as a decent guy or he's talked to her and he's made a good impression on her, Maybe it works in his favor. I mean, I've seen crazier things happen. There's just a lot of levels to this outside of just purely fighting. And I think the levels, the things that don't concern fighting are why they're fighting on this card and why this fight is getting more attention than it would get under any other circumstances. 
I think it's going to be interesting to see what happens, to see how she fights, especially if she wins, um, and to see what happens next. These are the type of moments where stars are kind of created, and it's unfortunate that that narrative may be drowned out by Greg Hardy's performance, but this is an opportunity for us to see something big from this fight card here. Um, One more question. Wasn't she, like, fairly injured from her husband? Oh, very badly. I mean, a lot of people were surprised that she she had her orbital bone was broken. I mean, that's not... I mean, I'm I'm not, not a, I, 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 yeah. I've never that's, fought before, but I'd, I'd imagine, I'd imagine that's tough to work around. Maybe it's just me. I don't know. I never fought before. Like Josh Koscheck was never the same after his orbital bone was uh, was broken. Yeah, I mean, like I said, I guess if she wants to fight, she wants to fight. But I'd be a little concerned. It's kind of a risky move. I mean, that's not the kind of injury you really ever really recover from. I mean, I, it's it. It is what it is, man. That's all I can say at this point. So but they, they knew what they were doing when they set this fight up. Let's not pretend this is just an accident. Yeah, I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna pretend that this is just an accident as well. Um, let everybody know what you're working on this week and where they can find your content. Um, you can find me on MMARatings.net. I'm gonna start ha- having some stuff on. I've just been typing away, trying to get everything straight because. Um, our editor does not like the fact that I have a lot of errors in my writing and it takes him a long time to edit it. So I've got to get that straightened out before he comes down here and fights me. Um, you can find me on um, Twitter, black at Black Jordan Breen, talking mixed martial arts, talking boxing, talking corners, fight strategies, breakdowns, making predictions. You, have, you ever have a question or anything you want to talk about, feel free to hit me up. I will answer any and all inquiries. And you can always find my content at rgarcia underscore sports. Um, majority of my content here is on MMA ratings or MMA ratings.net. And also I cover professional wrestling and MMA for fan sided and daily DDT. So you can find my content there. Um, kind of scaled back on what I'm writing. So it's been effing awesome. Um, I will be covering uh, IBJVS event this weekend, covering it, the UFC event for fight metric this weekend as well. So, a lot of great, a lot of great content will be going on coming out of me this next week. Um, like I said, I'm working on that piece uh, about Greg Hardy, probably tonight, tomorrow, and um, also I'm doing a podcast next week. Talk about AJ Agazon's, uh debut at Bellator 214. So yeah, be sure to check me out on Twitter again. It's rgarcia underscore sports, and you can catch everything that I do there and stay in touch with me and. Ask me any questions you want. I usually answer. You may not like the answer, but I'll answer. Ain't pulling no punches though. Don't ask me if you don't want to. If you want a polite, sugar-coated answer, don't ask him. Basically. So, um, with that in mind, man, we're gonna go ahead and close out. Thank you for being on another episode, Sean. And um, as always, like and share our content. Please subscribe because we're doing a lot of good things here at MMA Ratings, and we're trying to get our subscriber count up. So feel free and uh, subscribe to our content. As always, thank you for all you do, and everyone have a great night. You guys have a great evening.